Red Business with Jonathan Healy. Hi there and thanks for joining us. Coming up on this episode, the Cork company that designed a test to keep your drink safe on a night out. A big marketing ball that's coming up and we'll hear from the president of Cove and Harbour Chamber. But between the arrival of the budget and banks leaving the Irish market, personal finance is very high on most people's agenda at the moment. We heard this month that thousands of people in Cork are choosing to switch their current accounts to their credit union. So to talk about this and the situation facing those institutions, we're joined by Roy McKnight, who's the CEO of Douglas Credit Union. You're very welcome to Red Business, Roy. How are you? I'm very good, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. Uh, Lovely to talk to you. Um, How big is Douglas Credit Union these days? Jonathan, we have 20,000 members in the credit union and we manage assets at the moment at 93 million worth of assets. Okay, so that's a big organisation, isn't it? It's a considerable community uh, credit union, to be fair, it is. So tell us a little bit about the, the, the big switch, as it's been called. We know Ulster Bank are leaving and we know the KBC are leaving. So why would the people who banked with them switch to the credit union? Well, I suppose, Jonathan, I'll start off with really um, outlining that to date, um, from from the figures we're, we're hearing from the start of the, of the year, there's been, um, oh, look, I mean, the numbers are varying depending on what reports you're listening to, but o- almost 300,000 new current accounts have been opened. In that time, um, credit unions have captured about, you know, again, depending on which report you read, 16 to 20% of those current accounts. Um, which I find is a very encouraging sign and, and people are kind of, I suppose, you know, voting with their feet and coming to the credit union and seeing us as a real alternative. Um, I suppose, Jonathan, my concern is that, you know, that's still only 25% of people who have switched and timed the, talk, the clock is ticking. And, you know, we're, we're told that people have got their six-month letters from KBC and Ulster Bank. And I would encourage people to get out and talk to the credit union. We are a real alternative. And, you know, we, we, we have, people can apply for credit union and um, current accounts in-house, online. We're open every Saturday for our members to be able to switch current accounts. Okay, well, th- th- what's really interesting here is the credit union for me was somewhere you stored money or you got loans from. I never considered it as being somewhere where I'd have a current account. So are you going to get your debit card? Are you going to get your online banking? Are you going to lose something that you have right now that you consider necessary? Absolutely not, Jonathan. We have all the existing services, but what's happening at the moment, I suppose, look, we've been listening to our members and what our members have asked us for is a fully functioning current account. So we have now... Um, exactly that, a fully functioning current account, which has which has all the the obvious features you'd expect from a kind of a Mastercard backed current account. We have a debit card; it's accepted at every point of sale and ATM worldwide. And um, we have the mobile app; it's an easy to use app. Um, our current accounts are compatible with the likes of Apple Pay and Fitbit Pay. So this is a real opportunity, I think, for our people to kind of come out, support their community credit union and deal with people they trust. And we are very much putting ourselves forward as a real alternative. OK, now you're making it sound too easy here. I remember when I changed <laughs> bank years ago and I was I was fixing direct debits for about six months afterwards and it was an absolute pain in my neck. How are you going to solve that? Considering there are so many people switching at the same time, it's bound to be a bumpy road. Yeah, well, look, Jonathan, we acknowledge that point. I mean, look, it is it is a hassle. And, you know, 
everyone we speak to at the moment. Nobody wants to go out and do this by choice, but most people are being forced into the situation right now with the withdrawal of the two banks. So every credit union that has the current account offering will have a team in place to help people switch. In Douglas, I mean, we have three separate branches. You can walk into any branch. Um, one of my team members will absolutely walk you through the steps we, we have a switcher code. We can bring your direct debits and everything across. But I do urge caution because, again, we're reading this and hearing about this in the news that people are opening new current accounts, but they need to go back in and ensure that their direct debits and standing orders and et cetera are, are actually moved across as well. But, you know, we will literally take our members through every step of that uh, as we have. Does it does this interfere in any way with the raison d'etre of the credit union, which is to have a community-based organisation that lends to people, that uses the money in the community to lend to others? Are you becoming more of a bank as a result of this? Jonathan, look, it's, it's um, I suppose it's not a word that we would associate with a credit union, but at the same time, we're certainly, um, look, as, as I pointed out earlier, we're listening to our members. This is what they want call it a community bank but certainly we are expanding our service offering it, it, it is it is something that we are constantly asked for and you know we are a member-centric organization so if our members are asking for this product we're more than happy to try and provide it you are changing a lot as well we're, we're, we're moved well past the old uh, little piggy bank that i used to get in the credit union when i was small to put me, me a few coppers into you have a new product for younger people as well that uh, puts the old piggy bank in the shade tell us about that yeah, well, look, absolutely. I mean, look, I suppose, you know, our current account, um, you, you needed to be 16 years of age. But, I mean, the gateway to financial services is starting at 12 these days. So between, I suppose, sixth class and first year is where we target it. And we do so much work with the schools in our community. Um, and, you know, we're we trying to encourage, um, you know, financial services, financial literacy amongst the children. And it is a gateway to begin learning their, their I suppose, their financial or to, to help them with their financial future but so our current account now we, we we've um only just recently launched the, the same current account with obvious restrictions parental guidance etc parental permission etc but it is accessible to 12 year olds now um they will have the debit card and a current account going forward as well as their savings account within the credit union. Okay, so uh, get an expansion of the product and, and a natural move forward because people are asking you for this. What's the website if people want to look it up, Roy, and they're, they're interested in switching over for your credit union, first of all, I suppose? But for our credit union is www.douglascu.ie or you can do the same at just current account. As, uh, sorry, currentaccount.ie. Currentaccount.ie. Um, okay. We'll take you to your local credit union. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of them out there. Roy McKnight, CEO of Douglas Credit Union. Thanks so much for talking to us in Red Business, Roy. Appreciate your time, Jonathan. Thank you. Bye-bye. Turning now to the property market in Cork and checking in with one Cove auctioneer who's been dishing out some tough love to first-time buyers in the last few weeks. We know getting a foot of the property ladder is becoming harder for the younger generation and the state of the rental market is making headlines for the wrong reason. So what should would-be first-time buyers do. Joanna Murphy is an auctioneer. She's also the president of Cove and Harbour Chamber, so she's well clued into business in the region. Joanna, how are you? I'm fine, thank you, Jonathan. How long have you been involved in property? So I started my career 26 years ago. So yeah, 26 years I'm involved in the game. So you've seen highs, lows, ups and indeed downs. Absolutely. So I started work when I was 25 with my mum 
Um, my mum, Victoria Murphy, in actual fact, was the first woman auctioneer in Ireland to get her licence and open her own business. So she, my mum is retired now, but I think she started probably about 45 years ago, 40 years ago, something like that, and Victoria Murphy. And then she um, asked me to get involved when I was about 25, and we called it Victoria Murphy and Daughter. And we were the first mother-daughter auctioneering firm in Ireland, you make, what I remember. You, you sound like a remarkable crime-fighting duo, uh, by the way. Uh, <laughs> it, I, I think you should have used that in your marketing. It was a tough enough environment, I'd imagine, for your mum. Has it gotten any easier for you? It has. Definitely, when mum started, it was very much male-dominated, for sure. And my mum was, she's such a vibrant, stunning-looking woman, but well-able. And I just, and she's from South Africa, in actual fact. So I think, you know, there were so many different things against her. But um, my mum was very sharp, really intelligent, just went for it, loved it. And she just kept persevering. And I suppose I saw, like, she was very much a teacher for me. And I, I love property. I love what property can do, how you can make it work for, your, for, for you, because I suppose that's the environment that I grew up in. And I just, the minute I started, I loved it. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. Um, well, you, you now have your experience. You're a quarter of a century in. Um, but you, you've had to deal with, I suppose, many challenges in that time. Right now, it's the first time buyers. I mentioned the advice you were giving. What has it been? Okay, so I would obviously deal with a lot of sections within the market, but the first-time buyers, and I'm very conscious about them because I have three kids myself, of the eldest is 22, and he'll be coming into the property market hopefully in the next couple of years. And I feel that the younger population are finding it really, really tough to get on the ladder. They're finding it, they can't find a place to rent, they don't want to live at home, and they want to be able to buy their own house. But unfortunately, they're finding it really difficult to come up with a 10% deposit, come up with, you know, to be able to get a mortgage, which on average for a three-bedroom semi is anything up to 300000 here in Cove. So my advice to the first-time buyer is to think outside the box. You know, don't buy your, your... Your first home is not going to be your forever home. So there's an opportunity for you to buy a property for maybe 200 220 230 that could be an older house, maybe it's about 40 years old, that, you know, the Burr rating wouldn't be amazing. It might be an E or a D. There's so many retrofitting grants out there now that the young person can avail of to upgrade that particular property. So, for example, if they buy a house in Cove, a terraced house for 220, let's say, and they pump in about 50 or 60 grand into that house and make it into an energy rating of, let's say, B they will absolutely be able to sell that property in a couple of years' time and make a profit mm. so that they then have a stepping stone to go and buy the house they do want to buy. Yeah, it's, it's, they, it's, it's I, always been thus, I suppose, to, to get your starter home and your work up. But I suppose the question is, are there enough fixer-uppers out there to satisfy demand if everybody wanted to do that? There is. And I think that, you know, a lot of people who, let's say for argument's sake, you live in the city. Oh, well, I want to buy in the city because my, my parents are in the city, my friends are in the city. But the city is more expensive, let's say, than um, a town like Cove or, um, let's say, Caratool or Middleton or wherever, right? It's, it's, it's cheaper to go out of the city. And the, commu- the, the transport facilities now within towns is so good. And I think that if, you are, if you're buying a property in a town, just to ensure that there's a good public transport system in, there and that maybe you're only about a 25-minute drive from the city centre. Mm. So there, I mean, there, that's important. So therefore, think outside of the box, go and buy a house that's a bit cheaper, you know, that's a bit of a doer-upper, but is absolutely you're able to live in it, but that you can be doing it up as you're going along. Yeah. So and no, then, think long-term as opposed to, to, to short-term. It's, a, it's, it's solid advice, and I suppose it was the advice I was always given as well. Are there trends emerging in the market where you are at the moment? Are you spotting certain things that perhaps are unexpected? 
There is a lot of money around. There's a lot of people that are buying here in Ireland. If you were to ask me how, what percentage of who are who like who's my market? Who's buying? Let's say I'm in Cove and I'm in I'm in the surrounding area. Seventy percent of my market is people living outside Cove who want to come to Cove. So that's good because now they're recognizing that the likes of Cove is a destination. The transport system is good. They're 25 minutes from the city. So why couldn't they live here and buy a house that's a bit more affordable for them? So I'm seeing that. I'm also seeing then you have the big buyers who are in the millions there around. They want to buy somewhere in Cove, Kinsale or wherever. They have the money to buy a nice exclusive type of property looking at the water. The money is there. Absolutely. Where I'm finding it, I suppose... You know, if I would if I would put a property up for sale, I used to have about 15 viewings for that house. I might only now have about five or six viewings for that house. Wow. But I will sell that house yeah. because the, the buyers are less, but they're there. They are out and there. And they have, yeah, and they have, they have the money, as you say, perhaps. That's, yeah. That could be one of the challenges. You're also, as I said, yeah. the president of Cove and Harbour Chambers. So it, it's been, you know, back to normal, cruise ships coming in, tourism floating around. Is there a bit more of a um, an optimistic mood around there despite the pressures elsewhere? Absolutely. Like, I suppose, like most towns, COVID, I suppose, brought communities together. And we also... Um, I suppose we thought we again thought outside the box as to what we could do to encourage people to come into our into our town to visit. So we had a lot of staycations. Obviously, the cruise industry came back in March or April of this year. We have ninety ships in Cove this year. It's phenomenal the activity around the town when a ship comes in because not only do you have the crew and the passengers, but you also have the spectators that come to Cove to see these vessels. And they in turn might go for a bite to eat for lunch, might go for coffee, walk down the town. So there's a great buzz around the town. So when people come in here, they say, well, there's almost like a festival feel, which is mm. great. Yeah, and it is a great spot to go, uh, even for a day out. It's nice to see people milling around there again and, and, and doing what Cove has become really good at, which is entertaining people who are there for the day. Um, look, it's been brilliant talking to Joanna. What's the website for your auctioneer's business if people want to so look up the uh, fine properties that are down there? So, joannamurphy.com. And in actual fact, if I could just say, I have a video on my website that gives you a tour around the island, which is really, really good. Okay, I, I'm already I'm already looking forward to seeing that. Joanna Murphy, <laughs> uh, auctioneer, so president of Cove and Harbour Chamber. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you. Get the Red Business Podcast every week with Jonathan Healy at redfm.ie and wherever you get your podcasts. We've all become accustomed to using medical devices in the last few years thanks to antigen testing and shoving things up our nose and testing them and stocking up on PPE and hand gel and everything else that goes with it. But my next guest is here to tell us about a product that's designed to help prevent people on a night out suffering the effects of drink spiking, something that we've heard very frightening reports on in recent times. Vincent Collins is from the Cork-based firm Nutra Pharma, which supplies the Check Your Drink test. How are you doing, Vincent? I'm good, thanks, Jonathan. How are you? I'm very well. Tell us, how does this work? Okay, so Jonathan, so these are um, these are basically, they're, they're little test strips, um, very small in size, uh, very easy to use. Basically, what you have is just a small little white plastic strip and then you have two little pads on it then that are kind of, it's like a pink pad and like a yellow pad. Um, basically, those two pads then test for uh, two different things. Um, it's as simple as just dropping a drop of your drink onto each pad. Um, and basically, then you have the pink pad um, basically tests for uh, GHB, which is um, obviously one of the, the most common uh, drink spiking um, drugs that's used. And then the yellow pad uh, tests for ketamine. 
which is the other uh, very common um, drug used by drink spikers. Um, and basically, it's it's as simple as just applying a drop onto each um, of the strips, onto the pink one and onto the yellow one. And then if either of those pads or both of them change colour, so the pink one would turn blue if there's a, if there's a trace of um, GHB in it, or the yellow one would turn orange if there's a trace of ketamine in it. Okay. Now, when do you apply this test? So I, I'd imagine someone in a club late at night, uh, you know, do, do you have to set yourself up as if you're in the lab at home or how easy is it to do it in that kind of environment? No. So so basically, Jonathan, the way it actually comes is, and the way that it, it's it, that the people get it, they're, they're in little packets um, and they come in packs of five. The, the retail price is only four ninety five for them. Very cheap. Five strips inside in the thing. It's a simple like these 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 packets would fit into anything. They would fit into a purse, into a handbag, into a wallet, um, and it's just as simple as taking a strip out. And like you can just uh, if you want to pour a bit of a drink on it, but what it, what, what you know we advise people to do, it's as simple as if you want to just dip your finger into your drink even and put it just one drop onto each of those two things, and like it, it takes seconds, mm-hmm. and you just wait, and if it stays the same color, you're fine. If it changes color, then do you something to be worried about and just avoid drinking a drink mm. and obviously uh, you know obviously our advice then would be to you know maybe approach a, a member of the staff in the bar for them to kind of isolate that drink and obviously maybe investigate the situation further you know it, it's it's terrifying to think that you might have to do this uh, but you know there have been so many reports out there of, of this happening what, what was the what was the reason behind this how did you get involved in this in Nutrapharma Okay, so basically, uh, Jonathan. So basically, like Nutrafarm, like as a company, um, one of our one of our main core values as a company is family first. And um, like obviously, we sell obviously a range of different products as well. Obviously, this is one of our own products, but we've done various different things as a company over the last few years. Um, I mean, just one, I suppose, just to point out would have been for the antigen testing. Um, obviously, we deal in those as well. Um, and obviously, a lot of children and stuff like that find, you know, the, the use of antigen tests very unpleasant. So one of the things we don't do is we source, like, saliva-based antigen tests to try and make it a little bit easier and a little bit more, you know, comforting to, 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 to test kind of younger children and stuff like that. And I suppose, you know, with Family First being one of our core values as a company, we're, we're constantly, you know, striving to try and find new products and come up with products that can kind of, you know, I suppose give the power back to the people, Jonathan. You know, I mean, it should be, you know, it should be fairly basic for a person to be able to just go out on, on a night out and enjoy a nice socialising with their friends, have a few drinks, and not worry about this stuff. You know, but the harsh reality is, it's that isn't the case. You know, mm. um, and it was always just that thing. And I suppose we wanted to do our bit in helping the situation um, as best we could, with it being kind of tied in with one of our core values as okay. a company, you know. And w- what kind of market have you got there at the moment? How many of these are you selling? Are you selling them just here in Ireland? Is there an opportunity to sell it abroad? We're already selling it abroad. Um, so we're basically, we're, we're like, we have a going into countries you know, like Iceland and Malta and stuff like that as well. And obviously we're, 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 we've launched it in Ireland now as well um, over the last kind of month or so. Um, at the minute, um, it's going into a lot of, like it's a, in Ireland, I suppose, at the moment, it's more, mainly pharmacies um, that has been pointed towards, obviously, because we had been dealing with pharmacies in other business, so we had that contact, and I suppose we will be rolling these out as well into, you know, we'll be looking at getting them into the nightclubs and the bars as well, um, you know, in, in a different measure, you know, we would be, you know, some bars will probably want to buy them and maybe give them out uh, just as a service, you know, some bars mightn't. Um, we've, you know, we're working on several ideas as well, you know, like different ideas as to how we could get them in there, you know, again, not all finalised, 
but you know like ideas like we might put vending machines into bars or clubs and stuff yeah. so that maybe people could get them there you know it's a tragic reality that a product like this is needed but at least you're able to fulfil that need what's the website if people are looking you up Vincent it's at cyd.ie cyd.ie Vincent Collins from Nutrafarma thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us no problem at all thank you Jonathan Get the Red Business Podcast every week with Jonathan Healy at redfm.ie and wherever you get your podcasts. There is so much going on in Cork this autumn. No excuse for having anything less than a jam-packed social life. We were sedentary for long enough. And it's fantastic to see so many festivals making a splash and a return in the city and county. From Indie Cork to the French Film Festival to the Pitch Street Art Festival, the McCroom Food Festival. There's so many going on, including a certain jazz festival that will be back all guns swinging in a few weeks. But this week's focus is on folk music and the Cork Folk Festival, which kicks off in the coming week chair and someone I used to know in a different life Jim Walsh is with us now Hiya Jim Hello Jonathan good to talk to you I'd like to apologise again for wasting the wonderful education that you gave me at University College Cork and abandoning the law as I did so readily and fell into journalism You can always put it to good use <laughs> I used it the odd time still uh, Anyway it's lovely to talk to you tell us I'm a little sure bit you do, yeah. Tell us a little bit about what you've planned for the Folk Festival this year Well we're starting this day week as it happens Thursday the the 29th of September, and we're running till Sunday, the 2nd of October, four days of music and crack. Um, we're live, we're fully live this year, although last year and the year before, even with COVID, we did a, what, I, what I call a blended festival. We had some live events where numbers permitted, and then we were online, we were using Zoom, and we were actually recording events in venues without an audience. So we had Pretty good fun still. Yeah, well, you had to you had to improvise. Um, I suppose that's that's the nature oh, yes. of an event like this, anyway. But is is it good to have everything back in person? Ah, it is great. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing like live music. I mean, I I I at one stage I almost despaired back in the, especially in the nineties when there was a lot of emphasis on electronic music and so forth. I was wondering was live music doomed? But uh, that was only a temporary thing. It's great to have live music, even. Like as as you you know yourself, I mean, any kind of live music is is more enjoyable than listening to records in a room on your own or something, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, the the opera house is back in action. You're you're taking over St Luke's as well, which is a fantastic venue. So some of the acts coming in there, Mary Black is your headline act. But who else can we look forward to hearing from? Well, I just want to mention the fact that Mary is back because Mary was a really big hit in the early days of the Folk Festival back in the 80s. And uh, we decided this year to bring her back. I mean, it's she's a, she's a legend in, in Irish music. So we're, we're having Mary back. We're using, we're using uh, Triscoll quite a bit as well, apart from St. Luke's and Cypress Avenue and other venues like that. We've got a series of events in Triscoll. Um, with Sean Keane and Matt Malloy, they would have been of, of Chieftain's fame in there. We also have Danu from Waterford in there as well, and Marini Wenig is coming from Donegal on a network tour. Um, so we have a whole series of events in the Triscoll. And of course, we're also using one of the venues which is almost synonymous with the Folk Festival, and that's the Spalpeen Faunach. Uh, we're starting there next Thursday night with uh, an, an, an emphasis on Schliev Locher music. We also have... A few events happening out in CIT, which is where I worked at one stage. It's now the MTU. And we have a couple of free concerts out there on Thursday and Friday. And then we're using the CIT, or the, sorry, I should say the MTU School of Music for masterclasses on Saturday. So we're using a whole bunch of venues. And of course, we're using 
some of the regular pubs as well, like the um, Corner House will have a lot of music over the weekend. There's music in the Chine, there's music in the Poor Relation and all sorts of other venues well, as I, well. By the sounds of it, you're, you'll be struggling to find somewhere that isn't hosting an event uh, for the Cork Folk Festival as opposed to the ones that are because there's a great list there. The Kayleen Moore out in Douglas GA. Who are you hoping to attract to that now? Do, do you have to be a professional Michael Flatley-style dancer? Oh, not at all, not at all. Sure. I mean, I don't know whether you're familiar with the um, the Kaylee Kushlucka out in the lock. All sorts of people turn up there for a bit of Kaylee dancing and they're, they're accommodated. We started in the early days of the folk festival. We, we had a folk club in Douglas in the mid to late 70s. And uh, early events in the folk festival actually happened in the GEA club in Douglas. So we're going back out there on the... Um, on. Uh, this this coming week, or sorry, the weekend after next, um, uh, we're going to have a, a Kaylee with the uh, Douglas Colthus. Um, so that's a venue we used before and we're using it again. Okay, very good. So a little bit of history coming back into it. You're linking up with Indy Cork as well uh, with the special presentation in the Gate Cinema of Dark Horse on the Wind. That's all about a man called Liam Weldon. Tell us about him. Well, he was a great um, traditional singer. He... He, that that song, Dark Horse, uh, they say they pronounce it wind, Dark Horse on the Wind. It's a commentary on Irish social history. Um, I met Mick Hannigan some months back and he was talking about this documentary uh, on Liam and uh, he couldn't remember the name of it. And then I was going, well, would it, would it possibly be Liam Weldon? And uh, it was. So Mick has agreed to... Uh, join with us in showing that. And there's going to be a couple of other music and culture-related films in the, in the Indie Cork as well. So there's lots to do. Um, the entire event is running across the course of a week um, from the 29th of September to the 2nd of October. What's the website if people want to look it up, Jim? Uh, corkfolkfestival.com Corkfolkfestival.com Jim Walsh, chairperson. Thanks so much for joining us and best of luck with it. Thank you very much, Jonathan. And if you feel like coming along to something, let me know oh, and we'll accommodate well, you. Put the dancing shoes on now. Don't worry about me. Thanks, Jim. We talk a lot on Red Business about how businesses have had to pivot and be agile over the last few years because of a certain pandemic and the effects it had on all of us. But with the proliferation of social media platforms and digital media, the world of marketing has been evolving rapidly for even longer. An event at the Marketing Institute of Ireland's Cork branch this week, the first in-person gathering for two years, will hear from the head of marketing at Seat and Cupra about promoting a disruptor car brand. That's interesting in its own right, but the next two guests will also to be there, Jerry Crowley, who is the head of MII in Cork, and also the CEO of the MII is Shane McGonigal. Gentlemen, you're both very welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you, uh, Jerry. I'm going to go and begin with you first of all, getting everyone back into a room at your match. You don't want to be meeting half of them. Uh, well, absolutely not. Uh, no, um, <laughs> we had a very unfortunate uh, stint there, of course, with COVID, where all of our in- person events unfortunately uh, fell by the wayside along with everybody else uh, fortunately we were able to move a lot of our programs online via uh, our, our marketing institute in Dublin they have a fantastic facilities to be able to accommodate that but we did miss the the in-house the in-person networking element which has uh, been such a, a great asset to our events here in Cork. It's funny because something like COVID should disrupt creativity when you can't get people together. But that wasn't necessarily the case. People didn't stop being creative and productive if they weren't in the same room as each other. Oh, no, absolutely not. Well, marketing by its very nature is a very creative medium. Uh, You kind of have to think on your feet. You have to adapt to your circumstances. 
COVID was just another example of that. And it just created a lot of innovation. It forced people to, to, to do things in different ways. Events were cancelled. They had to move online. Same thing happened with education. Uh, marketing was absolutely no different. And if anything, it became more important during that time because messages and communications still had to go out. So we had to be able to tailor that to our audience, which was now no longer in the workplace, no longer meeting in person, but working from home. So it was it was quite the challenge, but it was a, it was an interesting uh, obstacle to overcome. Shane McGonigal, you uh, in your role, I suppose you're new to the CEO's role, I believe. When you're looking at this, it must be hard to credit how much the market has changed, even in the last two years. Yeah, the changes have been phenomenal, and I think to Jerry's point there, I just come out of working in Kerry Group for their European um, division where I was strategic marketing director. And actually when the company was looking at how to respond to COVID, they turned to marketing to help them with their digital customer engagement program. And myself and colleagues built that program on behalf of the business for all customer engagement. So marketing has a critical role, as Jerry said there. And look, you know, necessity is the mother of invention and marketers are creative people and they know how to deal with customers. So we're a natural place to turn when you have those kinds of issues. Mm, but the way in which the message is delivered has changed an awful lot. That drive online, that push, trying to understand constantly changing trends. I mean, if you tried to explain TikTok to, to you, Shane, five years ago, you probably would have struggled. Yet now you have to factor it into campaigns. Yeah, absolutely. But But fundamentally, it's about people communicating and exchanging ideas with one another. I mean, marketing is is a component of business and and good business is about serving your customers well and serving them better than your competition. And that's really what marketing as a profession is focused on, is being competitive and driving growth. So the mechanisms through which we communicate our our business propositions, why we're better, um, they may change a little bit, but fundamentally it's the content rather than the channel that you want to focus on when you're looking at strategy. So how you deliver the message will evolve always, you know. I mean, um, you, know, you might have been carving it in stone 2,000 years ago, and now you're doing it as a, as a six-second dance on TikTok. But, but it's still fundamentally about communications, about shifting audiences, the way they think, the way that they feel, and the way they behave. Yeah, and of course, that doesn't necessarily change. But what does change are the people who are doing it. And Jerry, how difficult is it right now to attract people to the industry? Um, how important is it to retain what you have and to upskill uh, so that you don't feel as if you're being left behind? Well, I don't think it's necessarily a a problem with getting people to kind of choose marketing as a career. As I said, it's a very creative uh, platform with a whole, with lots and lots of nuances that you can specialize in. But you are right in saying that it's very difficult to retain them. There's lots of competition out there. And of course, it's also a medium that, as you rightly say, is constantly changing. So you do have to upskill. Um, you know what you learned two, three, four years ago on one of our on, a, on one of the, our platforms, say whether whether it be Facebook or Google Analytics, or whatever medium that you're using, it changes so quickly these days that you need to constantly upskill. So whether that be through you know formalized education or just constantly on the job training or you know programs such as the ones that the Marketing Institute provides, or even these networking events, like these events are fantastic, not just for the networking aspect of them, but also for the takeaways that you get from the speakers. So when a speaker speaker comes out, you're sitting in a room, you're you're being presented to, you're only looking for one or two nuggets that you can take away and apply 
to your own your own working life and your 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 own professional mm-hmm. uh, skill set. Shane, of course, you get to come to Cork for this uh, this event on uh, Tuesday, the twenty seventh of September, and I'm sure all, you have to say that all the best ideas come out of Cork. Of course they do. There's no question about it. <laughs> Look, uh, Cork, um, I, I have lots of relations there. Um, my father was born in Kerry, and, but reared in Cork. So, um, thank God for that. Home. Yeah, the poor man. Imagine having, if, he was, if he was raised in Kerry as well. That would have been a nightmare for the family. It is going to be a great night. <laughs> It'll be a great night uh, for people to be back in the room together. Jerry uh, and Shane, thanks so much for taking the time to us. Jerry Crowley, Chair of MMI in Cork, and Shane McGonigal, CEO of the Marketing Institute of Ireland. Thanks for talking to us, gents. Thank you. Thank you. That's it from this episode of Red Business. Thanks so much for listening. Kira McDonough, as always, was the producer. Don't forget, you can listen back to every episode on redfm.ie. We'll catch you on the next one. Get the Red Business podcast every week with Jonathan Healy at redfm.ie and wherever you get your podcasts.